Texas talking ball. What was that that you said? Texas talking ball. Gonna hoop up beside your head. Texas talking Tell me who can you trust when Texas has I'm Vince Young, and I'm a development officer in the Division of Diversity and Community Engagement at UT. TripCast always scores a touchdown. Here's your host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is Reeve Hamilton here with the TripCast for the second week of November. I am joined by CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith. Vince Young. Editor Emily Ramshaw. I'm going to call him for some advice on my fantasy team. And steak. And steak. I've heard that that steakhouse is doing really well and that someone the other day said it was the best. This is not an ad. That it was the best steakhouse (laughs) in Austin. I would not know anything about eating meat, but I'm told it's delicious. (laughs) Meat generally? No, his 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 steak apparently, or the steak that bears his name. That's true. Look at Yelp. We also have reporter Amon Bethici here. I have nothing to add. <laughs> he doesn't even read Yelp. <laughs> you big Yelp fan, Amon? Uh, well, let's let's get right into it and move away from this whole steakhouse debacle. Uh, it's not a debacle. Vince Young would argue it's this, not a debacle. After all these years of this podcast, this is the debacle. Yeah, this is the one place I never wanted it to go. All right. Uh, well, but we. We're in this position now where the the races that we've been following for so long have ended. So luckily we have the speakers race now to turn to, to provide us with our entertainment and drama. And maybe, uh, Amon, you could bring us up to speed on the latest with uh, our friend Giovanni. Capriglione. <laughs> we've, been, we've been disagreeing about how to pronounce his last name. I think it's just Capriglione. Well, you know, you should have gotten him to do the intro. Next time. Well, it was between him and Vince Young, you know. All right, Amon, tell us about the speaker's race. Uh, so the reason we're talking about Giovanni Capriglioni, which I think that's how you if, – if that's not how you pronounce it, I've been pronouncing it wrong for Giovanni years. Giovanni is correct. <laughs> Giovanni. Uh, the North, <laughs> Northeast Tarrant Tea Party had a meeting Monday night, and it had five uh, members uh, – four members of the House and one soon-to-be member of the House. It was uh, Tony, Tony, Tony Tinderholt, who's going to be a member of the House starting in January, and then Giovanni Capriglioni, Matt Krause, Jonathan Sticklin, and Bill Zedler. And they were answering questions from the audience. And at one point, they were asked who they're going to be supporting for speaker. Are they going to support Joe Strauss? Are they going to support Scott Turner? And Giovanni Capriglione shocked the audience when he said he was going to be supporting Strauss. Not just shocked. Some members of the audience reportedly started crying. Supposedly, yeah. Uh, because uh, Giovanni was elected. Uh, he, he defeated uh, Vicky Truitt in a primary in 2012. And a lot of the people that supported him were unhappy with Truett because of her support for Strauss. It has been claimed since this night, and in fact it was claimed on this night, that Capriglione had campaigned expressly on defeating Strauss as speaker. This has been claimed. Well, has I, it been proven? He has spoken uh, – in, in 2012, he was very strongly against Strauss so and said he was unfit to lead. So, so he has said specifically in the past, we have quotes and stuff, right? Yes. Although 2012 was before his first session. Right. You know? Yes. So right, then but, he but, but, came but, in, voted for Strauss because everyone voted for Strauss because ultimately he didn't have a challenger when mm-hmm. the vote came. And uh, then he had a session with Strauss. And now he's had a, had a chance to read the votes on the floor and determined that there's no way Strauss is losing. Better to vote with him than against him. And so the quotes that I saw from Capriglione on the night of these these remarks were that, you know, basically Scott Turner doesn't have a chance, that everybody's going to go with Strauss, that it's going to be overwhelming. Was there any more that he said sort of defending why well, he thought Strauss well, was Well, he, he said no depth, right? He right, said he, he lacks depth. Right. But does that mean that he thinks Strauss has great depth? 
he said he's comp- he's looking at the two candidates. He's he not- bummed Strauss's deaths. Right. <laughs> I, I don't think he's saying he's necessarily pro-Strauss or that he thinks Strauss will be a fantastic speaker. It's just he has two candidates to choose from, and between those two, he's picking Strauss. And what if other candidates suddenly surfaced? I imagine he might change his mind. I mean, he's well, not but, firmly but, saying, but, but I'm def- definitively in The thing is, you run into, or- that's the argument that uh, Jim Murphy tried to make recently, where he was at a forum and he got caught on video. Uh, someone said, will you commit to Turner now? And he spends a minute and a half going, well, on the one hand, we have Scott Turner. On the other hand, we have Joe Strauss. We might have other candidates. I don't know. I really think that they're all candidates that might be voted for by someone at some point. And this apparently has put him in the disfavor of both the Strauss camp and the Turner camp. So it's sort of a lose-lose if you don't I, I, an answer. I, I think the thing on this that's interesting is that it wasn't just, I've done the math, mm-hmm. Turner can't win, we shouldn't have a speaker's race, I'm going to support Strauss because in the end he's going to win. And you know if I want to get something done for my district pragmatically, it's going to be better for me to support Strauss even if I have to put two clothespins on my nose in case one falls off, right? I'm going to support Strauss because ultimately by supporting Strauss, I'm going to get good committee assignments. I'm going to get – it wasn't a pragmatic calculation. Mm-hmm. He went out of his way to say negative things about Turner. Well, and I think that's also because uh, he was – Which is the shocking part, right? I mean the voting for Strauss is shocking, but I thought even more shocking was the stuff that he said about Turner. Well, I think he was trying to make the point that I'm not doing this strategically. I'm, and, and Jonathan Stickland even said at the meeting, according to Video Online, that it's very dangerous if we if we vote based on what we think the outcome is going to be. Right. But Giovanni was saying that's not what that's I'm doing. That's not what I'm doing. I'm, I, didn't, I mean he, he did say that he didn't think there was a race that most of the Republican caucus will not support uh, Turner, but at the same time, he was saying, "I don't think Turner is the right person to be speaker." This is going to put him in serious hot water up there. I mean, it oh, it already has. There's, there's already activists who've been like within hours they were talking about we're going to primary him in two years. I mean, I wonder how quickly this makes him a Strauss guy. Well, and and then and the North Tarrant Tea Party, it's the North Tarrant Northeast Tarrant. This is the Julia McCarty group, right? The Northeast Tarrant Tea Party. Um, last night put out something that said we consider the speaker's vote to be, um, you know, a determinant right, of whether we're going to support you. And if, if, so if, if anybody who supports mm-hmm. Strauss, we will not support you. Mm-hmm. So they're basically saying we're now going to be – should Caprilioni go forward with this, we're going to be opponents of his. We're going to endorse somebody else who supports him or not support him, whatever else. It, it's a significant thing. If you if you talk to the people – to people in Strauss' world – they do not seem in any way particularly concerned about the Turner threat. Not, not that they're not taking it seriously. Well, I mean, they've been sending out mailers already at the Strauss camp or this Strauss pack that was meant to yeah. sort of support. Uh, I think David Ralph reported this, that the Strauss pack that has was intended to basically support incumbents has been sending out mailers already, sort of a preemptive strike ahead of the yeah. speaker's race. But, but, I, but I don't think they're worried so much as they are taking it seriously. But they don't seem to be going crap as I do the whip the votes we're particularly worried no, that this is going to be a threat. They think no they've problem. more than got the numbers. I think a lot of Turner supporters, uh, they're not all that concerned about winning. They're cons- they're focused on getting that record vote because they want on record, who did you pick, Strauss or Turner? So this is going to be a purity test. Absolutely, yes. That, that, that's, that, that's the point here. In the last few sessions, every right. time there's been a challenge, the challenger eventually uh, – Backs down and there isn't a vote. So let me let me play devil's advocate here. What what if? What are you playing devil's advocate to? Well, but right. let me let me go. Let me go there. So so <laughs> I think Amon made a pretty factual. Statement. Well, no, no, he did, he did, he did. But I'm 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 going to sort of play the opposite side of this, which is why <laughs> to be non-factual. Why? 
it's my it's my brand. Right. We know. <laughs> Why prove a point? So I'm a Tea Party guy, mm-hmm. and I want to defeat Joe Strauss. And I know that Scott Turner, based on simple math, can't get the votes. Why do I go forward with Scott Turner as my candidate and prove a point and lose in doing so? And then the 15 or 20 of them who vote for Turner, whatever the numbers are, they get put on a committee that meets in Alaska twice, you know, just for the session. I mean, they get no no good committee. There's there's retribution of some sort versus Turner can't get the votes. Maybe somebody else can get the votes. Maybe John Smithy can get the votes. Maybe Todd Hunter can get the votes. Maybe somebody else who challenged Strauss would have a better chance of getting votes. Why not change horses? Naming people but, that aren't stepping up to challenge Strauss. Oh, my, honestly, why not change horses if no, no, I no. want to defeat Strauss? But I think it's less about leadership, a, a desire for leadership, and more about loyalty to the insurgency. So scorecarding. I think this is about establishing with a vote the Tea Party wing of the House. Right. And the the, the model for the last two sessions has been to run somebody and then they pull out at the last second so that there is no record vote and that hasn't seemed to be getting them anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And in the I, 2007, I think it was, uh, Jim Pitts ran against uh, Tom Craddock. Craddock. And there wasn't necessarily a vote on opening day, but there was a vote to make it a secret ballot or not. And they really want an open mm-hmm. record vote. This is a big issue. Right, right. right. They want it on the record vote. I think they'll get one. And and that vote uh, for a secret ballot or open ballot was kind of seen as the vote for uh, Pitts versus Craddock. And then so Pitt, and when Pitts and when it was lost and it was going to be an open vote, Pitts just withdrew. That's the closest thing we've had to a vote in the past decade. I think you're seeing a lot. Uh, well, my sense initially is that there's a little bit more of a fearlessness going into this session uh, among folks, I think, who are sort of running scared of the, you know, uh, Empower Texans scorecard last time around. I mean, I think you're seeing, again, with these mailers, with the fact that Strauss seems to overwhelmingly have the numbers, at least at this juncture, I think you're seeing folks who are going to be a little bit more willing to sort of go on record. Well, as long as you know going in, if you're Strauss, and you have to assume it until it actually happens, but you're pretty much there. You've got 52 Democratic votes right away. So you start off with those 52 Democrats. If no Republicans support you going in the door on day one in advance, you got 52. So Strauss just had to get to 76. He only needs 24 people cut from his particular bolt of cloth ideologically. And you know those 24 are there. There are many more than 24. And so it is a math problem first and foremost for anybody who wants to topple Strauss. And I come back to the question I asked, which I don't know that you all are obligated or can answer necessarily, but I would ask it of the people who are making the challenge. If you believe that this is not about winning, but it's about proving a point, okay, but why not take a, a, a shot at actually winning? Why not find somebody who – Who is that or, candidate? Or, or, is, or is the answer there, that there is nobody? There is no shot of actually winning, but what vote, their voters do respond to are scorecards. This is a way to get a vote on a scorecard. So so the plan then would be to roll this forward and challenge the Capriglionis and others of the world who are deemed as somehow disappointing the powers that be on that side. And keep of the building your base until you can be, you know, win a speaker's race. Yeah, I think this vote will be, mostly be about the next primary. Mm-hmm. So there's something to look forward to. So, 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 so then the House versus Senate dynamic, mm-hmm. which is to say the Senate led by Dan Patrick mm-hmm. and the House led by Joe Strauss and areas where they are likely not to be in agreement – on tone or on speed of accomplishing mm-hmm. what they want to accomplish or on specific issues coming up or not, that then is going to be the, that's going to be the pivot point for this session. Right. And I think Emily is right to hit on, I mean, the Capriglione moment signaled that more so than signal something about, I think, the 
uh, Tea Party wing, it signaled that this other wing has sort of fed up and is starting to stand up and say, like, we really are sick of dealing with Michael Quinn Sullivan. When you've had some people like Kel Seliger in the Senate and people being out there, but sort of on their own before, now it's sort of becoming this a bigger thing, I think, in well, the House. And I think you're going to have this more of a dividing line with this vote on the first day. Uh, even, and, and that's what uh, Scott Turner wants to do. Last month in a speech he said that he sees that vote as liberating the House and removing the smoke and mirrors uh, because there's this perception that there are a lot of Republicans who've, you know, privately or said, you know, in the past, oh, I would have voted for the guy running against Strauss, but he wasn't running on the first day. I, I didn't have a choice. And now they really want to push them to say, who are you going to pick? So you th- they'll think there'll be Tea Party people, people who we perceive to be Tea Party people, mm-hmm. who will not support Turner, but will support an open record vote? Who will not support Turner? Uh, uh, I mean, I think that's probably a stretch. Well, I guess I'm not sure. If, I'm not clear if there's going to be a vote for a secret ballot. I haven't heard anyone talking about that this time yet. But don't you think that's? But that's something mm-hmm. that they want to do. They'll want to do it in the open. Yes, absolutely. I, there, I, I, I would be surprised if it's a secret ballot. But is it automatically in the open unless they vote to do it in, in private, or is it the reverse? I believe it's the reverse. Yeah. So it's automatically in. It's automatically it's a, it's an open vote. Open, open vote, vote yeah. unless they vote to do it. Yeah, that's what Pitts was trying to achieve. He was suggesting that uh, years back that if if we d- we'll do it in secret and then we'll release we'll make it public after the committee assignments are announced. Interesting. Well, let's move on to other things that lawmakers will be voting on in the coming session, which are bills. Yes, thank you, Emily. <laughs> Good transition. <laughs> Um, well, we had 350 bills uh, filed on the first day of bill filing alone, and really— Which was Monday. Mo- Monday, this which is— when, We're recording this on Wednesday. This is really largely meaningless, except that, you know, lawmakers get low bill numbers if they file early. And there's some bill, low bill numbers that are reserved, but the goal is, you know, you want the numbers that are lower than 100 for the most part. Because well, we get to see—I mean, it's not entirely meaningless. We get to see lawmakers' priorities, and, sure, and, and some of these bills them, will like, get passed, perhaps. Sleeping out in the hall overnight, yeah, to file some of these things. And who so, filed the first bill? Oh, gosh, I don't know exactly who it is. One of, the, one of the Judy legislators. I thought it was Mondo—what <laughs> do I think it was Mondo Martinez? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, we saw the usual suspect— You always think it's Mondo Martinez. <laughs> yeah, right. We saw the usual <laughs> suspect round of bills. That one's an easy one. Uh, Tom Craddock refiled his texting while driving bill, which was—that was vetoed by the governor last time around, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and he's been trying that for a few sessions but, now. Yeah, different different governor. governor this time, right? Different but governor. But I believe Abbott's also not a fan of that either. <laughs> right. Uh, open carry, which Abbott has already said he would sign an open carry bill if Who, it made it to his desk. Stickland at least filed an open carry bill. Who— a, a couple different Lots people of filed it. Um, you know, you see the Democrats lodging their Medicaid expansion bills, which will go nowhere. Um, Bunch of gay marriage bills that will go nowhere. Right. Minimum wage uh, bills. Online voter registration bill that will likely go nowhere. Celia Israel was the. I think I so. Think yeah. She voted. For, so you know, yeah, the usual round. Her first of, bills filed ever, right? Right. I believe mm-hmm. so. I didn't see a whole ton of abortion legislation. That I saw one bill that would make it, you know, illegal to abort a fetus based on whether it was male or female. Um, but, you know, I didn't see anything that was was wildly unexpected in these early days. Erica Greeter last night at the Texas Observer session wrap or uh, election wrap uh, uh, conversation. It was Vialba, Chris Hooks, yes, Erica Greeter, yeah, that did, Donna uh, Howard. Jason Vialba and Donna Howard. Donna Howard. Featured together on our on our trip cast Gre- a few weeks ago. Not 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 to <laughs> yeah. say that they're copying you, Reed. <laughs> Chris Hooks. Where did Chris Hooks work before the Observer? Just saying. It's a big copy. Um <laughs> 
Uh, Eric, 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 controversial session. It's going to be all about the budget, no social issues, kind of boring for the press to cover. Do you, so so based on the re- relative lack of like hot button, like abortion stuff that you've seen, do you agree with that? I mean, I think there are always fun social issue bills to cover that are going to come up. Fun, fun in air, in air quotes. quotes. Uh, I think if we see a Dream Act repeal bill that Dan Patrick is really pushing. Well, in fact, Stickland is already, I know he, yeah, already Stickland introduced so, that. So, you know, right. in that case, there there will certainly be drama around that. And I qualify Stickland, that as a, as a borderline Stickland social issue. Stickland was tweeting out at the... Uh, associations and organizations that had fought his bills previously that he was he was sort of tweeting them taunting them that he was filing them again so i mean i think he's co- coming in with that attitude you would expect a little bit of drama well so, I, mean, know, I think yeah. dream act open carry um you know and i think there's there will be some bills in that space that i think you're going to see sort of less probably of the like abortion legislation but end of life care or end of life you know rules are going to be huge this end session. of life is a big issue it'll yeah, be huh? huge so i think there are social issues that you know maybe and i think you'll see than... i think you'll see amendments on abortion and all oh, those totally. other issues and attached to non right i mean hello right. look at the people who just came into the legislature it's uh, you know i think hello <laughs> <laughs> i think to think that this is going to be devoid of all look at you know, me and imagine Molly White, right? There will be legislation. For right. Any, anything about carrying we, firearms gets to be pretty controversial pretty mm-hmm. quick. I mean, just look at like the fights that they've had over campus carry over the last few sessions. Right, but I think I, I think I think open carry, supported by among others Wendy Davis. Hello, I think hello. I, I think open carry. I think open carry uh, is like you know. It's a, a greased path to, to success in all likelihood in the session unless the opponents can somehow use procedural rules to, to gum it up. It seems like there's enough people in there you who want to support it. You get some unusual opposition to, to open carry. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that's a surefire. That, Although, that's, that's, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I didn't even try that. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Abbott, Abbott's line about this uh, in his first sort of transition press conference, which we'll get to in a bit, was, I think, if open care is good enough for Massachusetts, then it's good enough for Texas. Yeah. And I think that's always that's, been their policy. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but I want to come back to I want to come back to in-state tuition because something came up in the course of the filing of these bills and Stickland's bill, particularly on in-state, that I want to – you, Mr. Higher Ed, I want you Oof. to clarify this. Ooh. So both Dan Patrick and Jonathan Stickland oh, this in is talking about in-state us, tuition yeah. have said, in essence – we should put Texas kids first. The reason that an argument for getting rid of in-state tuition is we should put Texas kids first. Dan Patrick said at one point, and maybe in fact even said in the debate with Letitia Vandepute, that it's about a slot that a Texas kid or an undocumented kid could take. He said this. He said this in with uh, Castro, and he said this with Letitia Vandepute. I may be. You probably are misreading or not <laughs> smart or what. But th- this is about paying. This is not about admitting. So if we're going to talk about in-state tuition, th- there's not any way that an undocumented kid paying in-state tuition is, quote, not taking care of Texas kids first, is it? Because the person who's paying is not, t- not taking care of the budget first. No. the um, Help me understand how – because this is going to come yeah, up, I, this I is, pa- Patrick always says you know, he, he – until someone can provide him with a good answer on what happens when there's one slot left will it, and it's between a uh, – Native Texan and uh, an undocumented yeah. Texan uh, or immigrant. Uh, 
the, when that when the university has to choose between those two, that's what he doesn't like. It's got nothing to do but, with in-state tuition, right? But it's also it's not yeah. It's also not about the bill is not about admitting students. It's about what they pay. And actually, if you make undocumented immigrants pay higher tuition, They're they more become the much more attractive from the budget from a budget standpoint. to the to the schools. I just think let's stop talking about admissions and let's talk about. The actual issue. Which no, I is haven't really. Read. I haven't really looked into it, but I mean, the if the school has to admit a certain number of Texas residents, and that you suddenly are not counting these individuals as Texas residents, then they might that might open up some slots for people that are considered Texas residents. I wonder if, but he hasn't really phrased it that way. I wonder if he's trying to make the argument that a lot of these undocumented kids would not apply if they couldn't get in-state tuition because they couldn't afford it. And, and, yeah, and, 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 there, and therefore, not to ask him. <laughs> no, but it's not. It's, it's it's that is it's it is a it's a false choice that's being presented. Right. And the the issue is, do you want them to pay more or do you want them to pay less, which is what Texans pay? It's not. Do you want them to go or not go in the place of Texas? And 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 in the course of that, displacing Texas kids who might get into these schools. Right. It's right. it's just it's just purely unless about, you want to revise admissions rules to say that undocumented kids cannot be admitted to Texas universities, then you're creating slots that Texas kids could take. Right, it, but it's more about do you want there to be sort of an easier path for these uh, kids to become yeah. college students and you know college graduates. The, fa- so the fact is that we assume whatever the basis for the discussion, we assume that in-state is going to be one of the flashpoints. Absolutely, sure. Yes, right? I mean Patrick has said as much. And we assume, maybe without knowing it for sure, but we just assume based on the dynamics we talked about earlier, that the Senate is likelier, given its composition, to be more receptive to overturning this law than the House will be. Correct. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. And then you also have, like, some substantive bills were also filed. Speaking of higher ed, uh, Seliger and TRBs came back. filed right? the tuition revenue bond bill, which is yep. the campus construction money that has been – no, they used to do so, sort of one of those packages every other session, but they haven't done one since 2006, I think. So a lot of, especially smaller schools that don't have a lot of money, uh, have been just putting construction projects on hold until they get that. So Where does Abbott come down on in-state tuition? That's a good question. Do we know the answer yet? My memory is that he was, I, th- I think he said something about this during the campaign. I'll have to go back and look. I, I, I My memory was that he was, I'm, I'm sure he was asked. <laughs> I thought that he was opposed to it, but I want to go back and confirm that. I think he said something like it needs to be looked at. I'm gonna I'm gonna look yeah. at it while we're, while you're talking. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I, th- I think I think sort of this is the answer he gives to things that he he might oppose, but hasn't really reviewed clearly. So I mean, we can get into his transition so far. He's sort of started to lay out what his his administration will look uh-huh. like. In his first press conference, he said that the Texas Enterprise Fund was something that needs a thorough going over, basically, which shows that, you know, he won't necessarily be Rick Perry 2.0. Mm-hmm. I think, so he, talking about Abbott's transition, he's, you know, named Daniel Hodge, who's basically been his longtime, like, right-hand man, is going to be overseeing the transition. I think we can anticipate that he will have a very big role in the um, in the governor's office. You know, he Abbott sort of quietly yesterday named the Cameron County Judge uh, Carlos Cascos as the Texas Secretary of State. You know, he did it in the Valley, um, you know, in the middle of sort of a veterans press conference. He came back to Austin later in the day and announced it here, but um, he sort of leaked it out quietly there. It looks like Evan has some uh, intel. Uh, this is from the debate on September 30th mm-hmm. so with Wendy ago. Davis. <laughs> Greg Abbott in a gubernatorial debate Tuesday night said he would not veto a law that repealed the so-called Texas Dream Act. 
So if the legislature sends a bill to his desk repealing in-state tuition, he would sign it. He would not veto it. Wonder how that well, goes Or he would not veto it. Maybe wonder how that goes over it, with it'll, the, it'll become law. <laughs> wonder how that goes over with the first Latina first lady in Texas. He would know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're married. You agree with everything that David wants? No, in fact, I disagree with most things that David does so, wants. Especially his higher ed policy. You'd be, you'd be a ripping first yeah. lady of Texas, clearly. Exactly. Governor Hartstein. <laughs> oh, God. I'll make sure he listens to this. Yeah. yeah so, uh, I mean, but Emily, while you were reading, Emily was catching us up to speed on the new nominee for Secretary of State. What do you think of that rollout coming was, so well, soon? It was, a little, it was a little odd because has anybody told Nandita Berry that she's out of a job? <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> right? I think you know, she hasn't until, anticipated it. She hasn't until at least uh, sometime in January. Look, I mean, Abbott continues to reward that part of the state. He's he spent a well, lot of time but, there. But while... flip it around. Abbott has spent time. I mean, I, I mean, rewarding sounds like it's transactional. I mean, I think you might actually say Abbott has devoted a lot of time and energy to courting mm-hmm. the valley, which you know, let, let's let's call it what it is. It's politically beneficial to him, but also. Not every Republican candidate for high office has done that in the past, right? right? Mm. And he's got a big enough budget that he doesn't, you know, he didn't really need to worry about the numbers and he could spend a lot of time. In fact, the first interviews I think he gave as governor-elect were to also Latino media, Hispanic media. Mm -hmm. And he he did them a big favor with this rollout, announcing it in the Valley before telling anyone in Austin. Cameron County is 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 a county in the Valley among the Valley counties that has had a higher preponderance or percentage of um, Republican Mm -hmm. officials. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, who was a Cameron County judge before he was appointed to higher office? Ultimately, Tony Garza. Tony Garza, I believe, was the first Republican elected statewide out of Cameron, you know, Republican uh, countywide in Cameron County. And then I think, didn't he become Secretary of State before? Was Garza Secretary of State appointed by Bush? Mm -hmm. So a similar deal. Also a Cameron County judge. So maybe maybe the fact that it's Cameron County is not all that surprising. But you're correct that it's another nod to the Valley and that ultimately does well f- for him with the Latino community. Right. And he also said that he wanted – I mean this is sort of an early time to be announcing a nomination like this, I think. But he said he wanted to do it because Cascos had just been reelected last week and he wanted to give the Cameron County folks a chance to prepare to elect someone else, basically. Yeah. The other interesting transition that we're hearing about that Ross Ramsey reported this week is that uh, Chip Roy, who is a uh, basically longtime GOP player who has most recently been on Ted Cruz's political team, former Perry guy, helped write Fed Up, Perry's book. Uh, that, you remember that book, everyone? You remember <laughs> it. Uh, that he's, you know, in conversations or is being, is being considered very seriously um, for uh, to be first assistant to Ken Paxton, the new incoming attorney general. So that would be an interesting transition, having Chip back. Well, and let's close with one other interesting transition, which is the one that Letitia Vanderbilt is considering making from state senate to the San Antonio mayoral race. Yes, this is quite an entertaining story. Do we think that happens? So I think so. So the the situation in San Antonio is that Mike Villarreal, um, the state rep, has announced that he will be running for San Antonio mayor. Uh, He he left the state house because he just couldn't handle the pressure of the speaker's race vote. (laughs) <laughs> and so then Letitia yes <laughs> so then Letitia Vandepute is apparently being courted uh, in San Antonio to run for mayor which is something that she'd said previously she would not do basically under any circumstances but 
I, don't, I mean, the sense that I'm getting is that, you know, there's a lot of pressure being put on her by some of the same people like in the business community who really supported her run for lieutenant governor. Well, and you have to wonder how much she'll enjoy being a senator under lieutenant governor oh, Dan yeah. Patrick. Who she just ran against. She just ran against. And, you know, she. there are some people who think she didn't hit Patrick as hard as she could have. But, you know, she did flat out say at times he is unfit to lead the Senate. Mm-hmm. And And you have to imagine that having run statewide, albeit without much money, that her name ID is as good as, as ever in San Antonio, although I imagine it's probably already pretty good. Yeah, and plus that's a pretty, you know, that seems like it's probably a pretty great job and has in recent years obviously become a launching pad. I mean, look, you know, Julian Castro, who is headed to HUD, Housing and Urban Development. He's there. Henry. He's there. Henry Cisneros. So, um, you know, I think that there are a lot of opportunities. That's a pretty high-profile city to be a mayor of. And then it would be fun to see who moves up to take her place. You know, right. if you get someone like a bulldog like Trey Martinez Fisher, it would be fun to watch him go mano a mano with Dan Patrick. Right. And then uh, who else? Is it? Menendez has said that he, too, is considering running for that Vandepute Senate seat if she moves over to run for uh, mayor. So, I, I, I think that to come back to the Vandepute thing, I think an interesting dynamic here will be Virial has already put his chips on that square. Mm-hmm. And the business community, a lot of people have come out supporting Virial. So is Vandepute's process of praying and looking for guidance from her family more practically, all right, am I going to be able to get some of these people who <laughs> are supporting Virial yeah. to say, okay, now that she's in the race, King's Axe on that. Extended family, really, right. sort of loosely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think she wants to be in a situation where she gets in this race without thinking for sure I could win. And in part that's going to be – Am I going to be able to get people who have already committed to Mike? I mean, she, she said, ex- Gov's race. She right. said expressly during the campaign, I am not running for mayor. That gave Villarreal and other people, by the way, a license to say, OK, I'm going to run. The other person who's left out, and it's kind of the Bill Ratliff of this race, is Ivy Taylor, who was elected by her, her colleagues as Ratliff was elected lieutenant governor by his colleagues when Perry got bumped up. Um, to be the presiding officer of the Senate, and in this case, the mayor of San Antonio, on the assumption, if not the express promise, that they're not going to run again. Well, there have been rumbles that Ivy Taylor is now reconsidering that. So there's another potential element in all this. I wonder if Vandepute saying I'm looking at it makes Ivy Taylor think, well, now suddenly if I got to run against Villarreal and Vandepute, maybe I'll just stick to what I said. Although previously saying that she wasn't going to run for mayor is sort of understandable given that she was running for a different office. And you can't say like, I'm running for this office, but I'm also going to run for that other. But office. it was well, more yeah. than just like it a... It was more no, than just... No, I don't yeah, think I, I'll run. It was uh, under no circumstances. Right. I'm I coming run. back to the Senate. Yeah. Well, I run for San Antonio mayor. I don't know if it said necessarily she was coming back to the Senate, but it said necessarily I'm not running for San Antonio mayor. Yeah. I think the messaging at the time was, I will be the lieutenant governor. Right. Although, you know, she knew from the beginning. I think they all knew they weren't going to win. The Democrats weren't going to have success in that race. I mean, in some ways, they were sort of sacrificial lambs to get some sort of more experienced candidates on the ballot. Yeah. But that's for another day. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, that's it, then. On behalf of Vince Young. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have, to, we have to encourage people to send questions and comments to Tribcast at TexasTribune.org and thank Shiny Ribs, our house band, for doing the music. Uh, on behalf of Emily, Amon, Evan, and our producer, Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. I'm, we've established long ago I'm a press. This is not news. <laughs> <laughs>